Hello, my friends. As you progress in your career, communication becomes one of the most important skills that you can have. We use communication to set context and sell our vision. We use it to create buy-in or resolve tension within our teams. It's communication skills that allows me to bring you this podcast week in and week out. And I didn't always have the best communication skills. They were learned bit by bit over time, and I'm still working every day on improving them. If you're interested in improving your communication skills, head over to leaderbits.io and sign up for the free trial to experience it for yourself. Now, get ready for an absolutely fantastic podcast because today we are talking to Bob Warall, the CIO of Juniper Networks, and we discuss articulating the bare essentials to sell your vision, being energized by hard problems, and embracing the unknown to grow as a leader. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. That was so much fun. It's amazing. You know, every day it's like CTO of Microsoft, CTO of Verizon. Like, and we always have something going on with like a microphone. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, mankind. Mankind can put people on the moon, but we can't make an audio call. So, okay. Oh, um, how, how's your day going? Um, yeah, really good, actually. How about you? I, I hear you're in Florida, so you're probably a little hotter and steamier than we are, but things are good here. You know, I love it. In the morning, I go for like my 5.30, 6 a.m. run. And so it's nice and cool. And it's not until that sun comes out, really, that it's like beautiful before when it's humid and cool. But when it's uh, humid and hot, it's not fun. So I, I get on top of the day early. Good. You must too. I mean, I'm looking and reading all about you. And like, I was just blown away by, by your experience and the companies that you've gotten to work with. Mm. It's amazing. How did you get started in technology? Uh, yeah, so that's maybe a weird story. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't come from a technical background. I was working on my MBA in quantitative methods and supply chain management of all things. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time I had a job doing uh, planning for a large manufacturing firm here in the Bay Area. And life was good, um, but uh, about the same time, uh, I got married and had our first child, and I was the single breadwinner for the family, and so money was really critical. And a buddy of mine called, who was working for a small tech startup here in in the Bay Area. He said, "Uh, you know, we need someone who can kind of figure out what those programmers are saying and explain it to the business. And I've known you for a long time, and you're good at marriage counseling and, you know, those kinds of things. So we need someone to perform that activity between the programmers and the business. What do you think? And I only asked him one question, honestly. I said, what's it pay? Yeah. And he said, I'll give you, I'll never forget this. He said, I'll give you 5,000 more dollars than you're making now. And I said, sold. When, when do I <laughs> um, because my sole focus, as selfish as that sounds, my sole focus was I've got a new baby at home. My wife just quit work. I've got a house payment to make. And so I went home and I explained my decision to my wife. And after she kind of picked herself up off the floor, um, I started at this uh, small startup, which was in the toy industry of all things, but it was high-tech toys. And uh, the company was Worlds of Wonder. And we had one smash hit, which was an animated talking teddy bear. 
Teddy Ruxpin. And uh, so there's a few nodding heads here in the room. That was like, yeah. we, were, we were the coolest thing on the planet for a while <laughs> until we went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they based the movie Ted off of, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was a great job. And having then two young kids at home, we were product testing everything. And it was a really cool thing. But uh, I was finishing my, my master's degree in supply chain management. And I thought, well, I got a decision to make. One was, do I stick with this IT thing that I was just introduced to or go back to sort of my roots? And again, for financial reasons, I thought, well, the IT guys seem to get paid more than the supply chain guys. So I stuck with it. And then the same friend who drugged me into IT uh, in the 90s knew of this other relatively small startup called Sun Microsystems um, and recommended that I sort of parlay my experience in doing sort of business analysis into uh, a bigger role at Sun Microsystems. And so I joined them in 1990. And over a 20-year career, by the way, that was a fabulous company for the record. Um, over a 20-year career, Sun had a really proactive kind of HR approach to taking what they classified as high potential employees um, and almost forcibly rotating them across functions to gain lots of experience. And I was no different. Um, I had a, a great mentor who, for whatever reason, uh, saw some potential in me and kind of put me on the fast track of every two to three years moving from one function within IT to another. And so I started out doing business analysis and then into infrastructure and then applications and then compliance and security. Um, and I got to the end of a 15-year journey doing that. And the CIO at the time was leaving to do a different role. And the CFO came to me and said, well, you've done everything else. The only other job we've got for you to do is the CIO role. And I said, you know, I've seen what CIOs do. Why in the hell would I want to do that? You know, it's a very stressful job. There's a lot of travel and so on and so forth. So I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Not interested. I was just happy doing the uh, things I was doing. And uh, a couple of weeks went by, he came back and he said, no, seriously, let's have this conversation again. Uh, and so after some back and forth and, you know, him being a great salesperson and convincing me that the CIO job would not require, you know, 90% travel. Um, I decided, yeah, what the heck? I've kind of made a, made a career out of being willing to do anything that they asked me to do, so I'll give it a try. And so for the final five years at Sun, I was the CIO, and we dealt with the whole transition and acquisition by Oracle. Um, and then, you know, I guess as the story goes, my network had been um, significantly built by that time and had some acquaintances who had left Sun and went to NVIDIA, the chip manufacturers down the street. Yeah. <laughs> Gamer. <Yay. laughs> and, uh, and so the same story kind of pursued. They called me and said, hey, we've got this gig and you know, what do you think? And I thought, well, why not? Did that for uh, four or five years. And then the third and final installment is uh, some former friends from Sun who had went to this startup uh, 20 years ago called Juniper Networks um, called and said, hey, we got a, a deal going on at Juniper that's really cool and it's a chance to sort of work with all, you know, former friends. And uh, so I've been here about three years and it's fabulous. I, I can't say enough positive things. Um, 
probably the biggest draw for me was that opportunity to work in a culture which was very similar to Sun, work with people that I was familiar with and uh, have, have some fun doing some really important work. So I've enjoyed it ever since. Sorry for the long. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I actually, I got connected or I became aware of Juniper through one of uh, the speakers that talks, writes and speaks about Juniper. Um, I think he's like one of the original ambassadors. They're called ambassadors, right? I'm pulling from a, from like a couple months ago. And his yeah. name is Stefan. And he um, he mentioned like the story of the CEO, which was a really cool, genuine founding story. And then through our people and their people, we got connected with the CEO. And he said, actually, you know, this would this is the person you want to want to speak to. Bob's awesome. And I said, oh, this is absolutely fantastic. I liked NVIDIA. They do so much more than gaming. They yeah. are huge. They've got these huge uh, farms that they'll license for massive computations. And so I, I get geeky with that stuff. And so, yeah, I really, um, I haven't gotten the, the, the luxury to do the gaming stuff in about a decade, but. <laughs> I Changed a lot in the last 10 years. <laughs> yes, but I really resonate with your story, given the fact that I have an 11 month old daughter and a second one on the way. So uh, that motivation, that drive, uh, there's no way to explain it until you have the living, breathing thing and you're holding it in your hands. But I just have this every day I get up, I get my giggles, you know, cause they get the giggles early in the morning and I'm just like, I'm going to own the world for you. Like that's why I'm walking out that front door right now. And that makes so much more of a difference than when I was in my twenties and I was like focused on object related things. Um, but the, this, this fuel, this fire just keeps growing. <laughs> so it's a strong motivator. <laughs> it, hungry mouths are strong motivators. Yes. So for, for those of us who like, don't know what Juniper Networks is, can you give us the high level overview? Sure. Um, it's pretty easy. So we've been in business about uh, almost 21 years. We are what's called a network provider. We make a network infrastructure for the largest uh, companies on the planet. We, we literally power the internet with some equipment that was uh, designed back in the 90s. Um, our claim to fame, I guess, is we, we solve some of the most complex network challenges known to man. So today we are used by some of the largest cloud providers, so service providers, tele telecommunications companies to handle the most complex routing and performance challenges around. And we have since extended some of that innovation and technology into life sciences and other adjacencies where um, they can take advantage of some of that innovation. So again, our claim to fame is powering the network with the most innovative solutions on the planet. And uh, we are passionate about solving network problems. So you're a great leader, right? You've gotten, I've read, so you guys some recommendations, obviously for you to progress to where you are today in your career, you've had to obtain these amazing leadership skills. So I'm curious to know what your first experience was getting to lead your first team. Um, you know, I honestly, I was scared to death. Um, <laughs> my first, my first team was a really crusty group of old guys who were 20 years my senior and had gone through, you know, technical school and got all the credentials and everything else that I didn't have. Uh, honest to God, I'll never forget when I was given the opportunity to go lead this group, kind of stepping out of the business analysis role into my first infrastructure job 
where I was going to lead this team. I knew nothing about what these guys do and probably lost more sleep that weekend than I can ever recall after that, worrying about it. And I guess I used a trick that has served me well since, which is um, I went in that morning and gathered everyone around the table and I said, let me get one thing perfectly straight. I'm the stupidest guy in the room. You all know more than I will ever know and I will never profess to know everything that you know. But I said, here's what I think I can lend to the group, right? I can, I can lend some organizational skills. I can, I'm a pretty good communicator. So don't think of me as you know, the superior or the boss, but think of me as a team member who's got a different set of skills. And I kept at that theme for a while. And you know, over time, as we encountered lots of crises, as you do in IT, and I was able to kind of lend those skill sets, I began to build a rapport and some credibility with them. But through my entire career, I've kind of taken that. So as I've moved into each of these functions, I've been the guy in the room who's had the least knowledge about that subject. And though I work really hard to gain a functional knowledge of the, of the topics, I don't profess ever to be the smartest person in the room, but only to have maybe a different or a unique skill set that hopefully helps the team at large. So, you know, that, it was a scary moment. And... Um, you know, I guess the other takeaway, if I, sorry to prolong this, but the other takeaway from that experience and a series of other experiences in my life is the best thing that my manager did for me in that experience was not help me at all. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, the, the guy I was working with was a good friend of mine. He could have stepped in and said to the team, there's Bob and you're going to, you know, listen to everything he has to say and he's going to come to me if, if you're screwing up all those kinds of things. He basically said, you're going to manage these guys. Um, I'm not going to help you at all. You're going to live or die by everything that happens in the next, you know, 72 hours. Um, and so that crisis of conscience that you have, you know, whether it be Mel's defeat or this new function that you're leading, you've either got to deal with it um, or you're going to crash and burn. And so there's that crisis of self-reliance and self-confidence and everything else. And um, you come out of that when, when it's successful, you come out of that with kind of a renewed confidence, right? And you kind of take that to the next gig. So it was a small team. You know, I think we had six or eight guys at the time, but the, the experience and the lessons were invaluable. No, that's, I love it. Cause usually it's uh, the first team is like, that's when you get to make all the mistakes. <laughs> Oh yeah. So it's always like, I, I usually ask the question, uh, what was the first team and then how did it screw up? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So if you were to make a pie chart, I'm really curious, right? If you make a pie chart of your day and you had to identify the three biggest slices. What does that look like for you? Of my work day, uh, it would be, I guess, three biggest slices. So the first slice would be I guess I would label all the normal stuff that IT people do, which is, um, you know, looking after all the projects we've got going on, looking after budgets, looking after escalations. There's always escalations. Somebody's laptop's not working or those kinds of things. That would be a big portion of it. The next third, I guess, would be uh, here at Juniper, we have the IT function plays a specific role, which we refer to as customer one. And that means deploying early versions of Juniper products and helping the engineering community to understand product features or gaps or bugs or those kinds of things. And so we have a 
focused team who looks after all of that. And that kind of takes some unique time. And then the third element, which has grown in the last couple of years, is just a, a focus and time and attention spent to the security topic. We have a pretty um, significant investment in people and technologies at Juniper to look after security of all types, right? Um, individual privacy, customer privacy, all of those kinds of things. And because Juniper is used by national infrastructure providers, governments, um, you know, intelligence agencies, uh, banks, all of those kinds of people, they have very significant expectations of um, privacy and security. And so that consumes a lot of time. So those are the three big sections, right? Kind of the day in and day out IT stuff, our Juniper on Juniper program, and then security. I really liked how you called, you mentioned briefly, you said you called a customer one, right? Because yeah. that that's so smart because those are the people who implement your products ultimately, right? Is that, the, was that the reference? Yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly that. It's, you know, ideally my team who's sitting on the other side of this wall, um, the, net, the network team, they should be the first people who deploy a new switch, router, firewall, whatever it might be. And if it fails here in our campus, that's actually a good thing, right? Our, yeah. employee, our employees might not like it, but <laughs> the, engineers, the engineers are excited because they run over and they say, what happened? It shouldn't have happened. So let's diagnose it. So, No, that's amazing. Yeah, they can't even Google the answer for it because they're the ones creating it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is the project that you're most excited about today? Like what's getting you out of bed? Like what are you jumping out of bed for? Oh boy. Um, I guess the one that's got us the most excited right now is we're at the tail end of a significant project that's been going on for a couple of years, which I guess if I had to put a label on it, it's really Juniper's move to the cloud. And if I take a step back and describe that briefly. About four or five years ago, there was a, a discussion with our board of directors about the fact that our customer base was changing. Um, if you go back in history for Juniper, Juniper largely sold to the likes of AT&T and Verizon and others, and provided them the infrastructure. Over time, as our solutions and technologies have evolved, cloud providers and other very innovative companies have begun to adopt our technologies. And what we learned from that new customer set was there's a new way of doing business. And that way of doing business is moving things to the cloud. So today that sounds kind of silly, but, you know, five, six, seven years ago, it was still fairly new. And so credit to the board uh, and our founder, the board set aside a significant amount of money and said, we want Juniper to take full advantage of all these new technologies and features, just like all the big guys, the Amazons, Googles, Facebooks, and everybody else. So go make it happen. And so we set out on this multi-year journey. And in the last couple of years, we have successfully now closed all of our data centers. We had 18 data centers at that time. We're down to one small little co-location facility. We've moved all of our business applications to some flavor of the cloud, either up to Amazon or to a software provider or a you know, something of that sort. And so if all goes well, I'm going to go out on a win here, but if all goes well, by about November, we will close the final co-location we have and we'll be able to say with great pride that we have no data centers whatsoever. And that's, you know, again, for the likes of a Google or a Facebook or something, that's not that astounding. But 
I challenge you to look at any large enterprise in the US and see how many data centers they have left and the complexity that goes with that. It's an amazing feat of uh, energy and performance and technology that the team has put in the last couple of years. But I think also showcases to people who are stuck in that journey that it can be done, right? We're no different. At, at one layer, we're, Juniper's no different than any other large company, right? We have the same challenges that everyone else does, but somehow we've overcome it. So I think we can showcase the, the art of the possible for other large companies. You had me thinking back. So about 10, 12 years ago, I had a, a pretty successful real estate software. And one of the things that made it so popular was the fact that we piped in massive amounts of multiple listing data from hundreds mm -hmm. of different agencies that were all happening and updating multiple times a day. And I had, I was the CTO and the co-founder. And so we had to make the decision of, you know, which data center to put into. I think I ended up going with like rack space, but I remember the bill we get from them to actually wait, put in a ticket, let someone build the machine, set up our, uh, you know, slave cloning and everything like that. Those were custom scripts that they, it wasn't a feature I had to go in there and manually set up or pay managed services to do for my backups. And then uh, just go move, you could go there and move physical machines around. It was just crazy. And then now it's like, I just spin up an instance that expands infinitely and I don't even worry about it. <laughs> it's on, it's yeah, pennies. You don't have to worry about backups or failover or redundancy. No. Or anything. They're, they're like real timing, uh, diffing my Postgres database. <laughs> so I can go back and like, there's just a million forks. I can go to any point in time. Just be like, I want restore that. I was like, it's just unbelievable in what a short period of time. But what you, what you mentioned, the way you were able to get the whole company and, and, or the way the whole company was able to transition says a lot about the culture. I'm curious, could you give me an insight of, of what it's like to be on the Juniper, Team Juniper? <laughs> sure. I think you're right in that for most companies, if the CEO said, I want you to move everything to the cloud, typically a lot of antibodies would come out, right? There'd be lots of reasons why it couldn't get done or whatever. At Juniper, there's there always has been, this is a credit to Pradeep Singh, our, our founder, he set a culture of, you know, don't think of what's impossible, right? Um, just break down the barriers. And so there's a, a strong, uh, I don't know how to describe it otherwise, but there's a strong sense of teamwork at Juniper when there's a really gnarly problem facing the company. Everyone, because of their thirst to solve hard problems just jumps on it with a lot of ambition and thirst and vigor. And so this was no different. I think the board set this really gnarly goal for everyone. And they said, look, this is not an IT project. Let's make that perfectly clear. This is a Juniper project, right? It's going to require engineering, marketing, finance, IT, legal, HR, everybody. Um, and so, you know, pulling together that sort of cross-organizational team, which was largely driven by IT, but included all those team members, and establishing it as a company goal, not an IT goal, I think was the fundamental difference for us. But uh, we, as I say, relied heavily on what we refer to as the Juniper way, which is kind of that set of values that makes Juniper culture so important and differentiated. No, that's, it's my tribe, man. That's my people. It's like, let's do something hard. Let's solve something hard. Let's have some fun. And then let's wake, I, I wake up with such like a, like a zeal, like a zest for life. I just want to go out and like 
do things. And so it's just for me, my uh, a lot of my development over the past decade has been the focus of that energy. Right. Mm. And once I got that down, I went from being the sun lighting everything up to being like a, a dangerous ray. <laughs> Wherever I put my energy, it's getting done. No, it's, uh, you know, there, I, I joined about a year after that board decision was made. Um, and when I arrived, you know, people were in the course of doing technical designs and project plans and all that. And I can tell you in the last three years that I've been here, countless times where someone got hit with some roadblock of some sort, right? And kind of scratch their head and they go away for the weekend and they come back and I figured it out, you know? So I think people in companies like Juniper are energized by those hard problems. And this one is certainly Oh, I, and those week, those, those weekends away are good. I, I remember when I was um, writing code in my sleep quite a bit, there were, there were a lot, many years when I would, I would dream, I'd be writing the code and then I'd wake up and I'd write the code and I'd be like, all right, that dream was a little bit too real time. <laughs> like I've worked a little bit too much, but it, it's interesting when you solve. I'm sure you solve problems in your sleep. It's just something that, you know, I think happens from time to time. Now yeah. you have uh, a CTO and a CIO. And mm-hmm. I was talking with Cody, he's the CIO over at T-Mobile. They also have a CIO and a CTO and they handle their disputes with lightsaber basils. <laughs> okay. what, what is the relationship like? How are the responsibilities? Um, I know the answer on a broad spectrum. Everyone's like, what's the difference? I'm like, it depends on what company you're at. It's yeah. very different at every company. So I would like some insight on what, what does the CIO CTO look like at your company? Uh, sure. <laughs> I like the lightsaber idea. I might take that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, let me explain it uh, maybe from a life cycle perspective. So our CTO is a fabulous guy who just joined the company named Bakash Kohli. He came over from Google where he ran all of Google Google's networks. Um, so his basic job is to be the big thinker, right? To think five, 10, 15 years downstream and where Juniper's got to be from a product's um, perspective. He's got a bunch of really smart people who sit in dark rooms and think big thoughts. Um, he then hands those ideas over to our chief product officer um, who takes those kind of raw ideas and notions and market analysis and squirrels away and and does some real market analysis and says, yeah, that idea is smart because we can make money off of it. And here's the specific products that we need to take to market to accomplish that. The chief product officer then takes it to our chief engineering officer and says, great, you guys have told me what to make. I'll go make it. Right. So he turns ideas into boxes and software. And then chief engineering officer gives his products to me and I go deploy it. So that's a long-winded way to get to your question, but there's this life cycle that involves from CTO to CPO to CEO, a chief engineering officer to CIO. All four of us report to the CEO, and it's very, very clear in all of our staff conversations that each of us has those distinct roles, right? Um, But again, sort of pulling it back to the culture piece, what I can also tell you is that Though each of us are um, have those specific domains, there's an immense amount of collaboration 
So if Bakash says, here's what I see happening in the hyperscaler data centers, because of my background as CIO, he'll pull me in and say, what do you guys think? Or he'll pull in the product and marketing guys and say, what do you think? So at the end of the day, he's responsible. But in fact, today's a great example. We're having a meeting after this with the CTO office, and we're just brainstorming some big problems that his guys, his team sees five years from now. And he's trying to get some you know, real world uh, input on it from my team. So yeah, it's a, it's a great cross-organizational collaboration. I love it. I, lo- I feel like I owe you a consulting fee. No, <laughs> no it's, I like hearing you know, how different companies are structured and, and what, what they do because at the end of the day, we're all working you know, together towards enhancing technology and making the world better for the next generation, right? So I, I, really, I really love hearing about that. I, I like the... Um, the flow of how that's handled. And I, to be completely honest, that's the first time I've ever heard that though. So that was original for me to hear. Cool. Juniper is very original. So I'm glad that uh, <laughs> it worked out. So as a leader and you work with other individuals and other teams, when you see an emerging leader, right? Amongst your crew of available people you interact with. So that's not necessarily directly on your team. When you see yeah. an emerging leader, first of all, what is happening that like, makes them stand out? What have you, what have you noticed? Like what will catch your attention as, oh man, that person's uh, just, you know, doing things that uh, stand out as they're going to be fantastic leaders in the future. Like what catches your eye about that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I've done a lot of mentoring over my career, but in terms of the one thing that stands out, this might sound kind of silly, but above everything else, if somebody walks into a room and can articulate their thoughts and ideas in a very succinct manner, I'll listen to that person all day long. On the contrary, if somebody walks in and they can't effectively communicate and they sort of ramble on and and they're literally reading the slides and so on and so forth, I will mentally tune them out instantly. (laughs) And so that's... that's just my personal thing, right? That's my personal pet peeve. So that distinguishes uh, the makings of potentially a good leader because I think a good leader needs to be able to get to the point quickly, make the sell, and get out, right? And I'm not claiming I'm really, really good at this, but I think one of the things that has helped me in my career is that if I need to go into an executive session to make a, a pitch for something, I will strip down the messaging to the absolute bare essentials, right? And always be conscious of the audience, the lack of patience that they're going to have, and so on and so forth. And so to this day, in fact, last night, I had to go to our audit committee, the board of directors, with an update. And I was in and out of that presentation in about 10 minutes, answered all their questions, and got out. <laughs> and I th- think back to the thing that I cherish so much, this you know, ability to be succinct and articulate. I try and you know, be a living example of that. And I hope in the course of that, show people that if you're in this for the long run, you've got to attend to both your technical skills, your leadership skills, and your communication skills, right? It's got to be a whole package. It can't be one or the other. I love it. And here's why. I get the question all the time, how do I level up, right? How do I go from individual contributor to team leader or just to the next level? And I, they're like, I've been reading all the books on my craft and improving, learning all the programming, learning all the advanced techniques. And I said, well, you need to spend time learning on the skills that you'll have to have at the next level. And you have yeah. to begin learning and understanding and practicing those today because becoming better at 
writing your code won't necessarily be the skills you'll need to lead the group of people writing the code. And right. so it's like a video game, right? So pay attention to what the players are doing that are in the levels higher than you and go ask them for help or go ask them what materials they learned from or just go ask them about their transition. And you know, that's how, for me, I, I capped out, right? So I got to uh, leader, team leader, founder of company. And so my, one of the reasons why I started the show was so I could have access to people who are so far up there and have done it for so many years and running these massive companies that I could then see what, how they think and what they do and what they focus on. And, um, I've, I've always been good about going after something, uh, but just in a, my own way, I was curious what wealthy people read. So I went and walked through a couple open houses of some million dollar houses and took pictures <laughs> of their bookshelves. I was like, what got these people, this house? Like I get having some money, but this is like, these are mansions. Let's see what they're reading. <laughs> Uh, I'm just thinking if somebody walked through my house, what impression they would get of me. <laughs> as long as they don't go in the dungeon. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Where, where are you located, by the way? Uh, so we're in the Silicon Valley uh, Bay Area. I live in the East Bay. Uh, okay. Just over the hill. A nice little bedroom community, but uh, lived here all my life. I had a two-year assignment. Do you might have seen in the bio? I, I was over in Amsterdam for a couple of years. Other than that, worked and lived here in the Bay Area. I thought that's where you were going to go. I knew about the Netherlands, so I thought that's where you were going to go when you said, they promised me there wasn't any travel. <laughs> then they sent me to the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was an interesting household conversation, too, talking about you know feeding mouths and so on and so forth. I, I had been doing a lot of travel, and my boss at the time said, well, you know, you can cut down on travel if you move to Amsterdam where we're building a new data center and so on. So I didn't tell my wife like for weeks because I was terrified what she was going to say. Um, and I brought it up, you know, like one weekend kind of indirectly. And she said, look, are you asking me to move? And I said, yeah, I guess so. And she said, look, the kids are 10 and they were 10 and 12 at the time. I have two boys. And she said, if we're going to do it, this is the perfect time. As long as we're back by the time they get into high school. And so, yeah, with her approval, uh, we made the switch, but it was a great experience. See, I would have, I would have like found some movies that were filmed in the Netherlands <laughs> <laughs> and put them all. Be like, you would be great to go there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, your kids, did they follow in in the technology? Um, one of them sort of has. Um, I have a my oldest son uh, works for a large electronic uh, auto manufacturer that starts with a T here in the Bay Area. Um, and he's doing uh, security systems work for them. So he's kind of in technology. Uh, my other son, my younger son, uh, years and years and years ago, he was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old. I said, my, grand, my, my dad asked him, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to do what your dad does? And he said, he looked at him, he said, why the heck would I want to read email for a living? Because that's <laughs> his perception is that that's all I did, right? Um, and so God love him. He's, uh, he went a different direction. He got a marketing degree and uh, works in the golf industry, spends most of his days outdoors. And he's a very social kid and loves his life. And uh, so, yeah. Really? He's in the golf industry? Yeah. All right. So let him know. You could, when, when you talk to him next, my, uh, my father in, in our town... He was the, so he was the 
third engineer. He was the third hire at this company in the late 80s. They invented the digital screens that go inside golf cor- golf carts at the yeah. high-end golf courses. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, so my childhood is those being baked in ovens in our garage for heat testing <laughs> because they were shipping them out to the desert in Arizona and the units were literally melting off the golf carts. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Small world. Yeah. Most yeah I've, I've used a lot of those uh, over my time. We've played a lot of golf together out in the desert sometimes. But, uh, oh, nice. Funny. Yeah, it was called uh, Parview and then ProLink. They got bought and they went public and then yeah, yeah it was just a... Uh, seeing the whole thing happen was really cool. Cause I walked in there, you know, I, I remember, cause I was probably about like eight. So I remember they had these, um, it was like one of those small office suites, you know, with like two, two rooms, probably yeah. 700, 800 square feet and just stuff boxes stacked to the top. And then they got a bigger office and then the next year, a bigger office. And then I ended up walking, my dad had this warehouse with like 30 people that he was leading. And I was like, what is going on? This thing just keeps multiplying. And, uh, yeah. So instead of cookies and, and grandma's baked goods, my yeah. smell for childhood is solder and baked <laughs> electronics. <laughs> uh, that's a good story. <laughs> so I'm sure I'd fit in over there because, I mean, when you go into those servers rooms, it smells very similar. Yeah, it's also very cold. But, very cold. Yeah, right. yeah you, don't want, you don't want to be in there if there's like a fire because all the air gets sucked out. And so <laughs> No, no fun. I had that experience. Uh, well, it's been 20 years now, but back in the days when data centers had fire suppression systems in them, they had halon systems. I was in a data center when someone accidentally pushed the fire alarm button. Are those, are those the foam systems? Uh, this was uh, compressed gas, halon Ooh. gas. And <laughs> uh, it was a little frightening, but anyway. <laughs> Walk out sounding like you inhaled helium. <laughs> Oh my God, there's a problem. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh man, this is awesome. You you are so much fun to hang out with. And uh, next time I'm out in San Francisco, I'm going to stop by and say hello or sure uh, whatever whatever works. I know you guys have like probably crazy security, but uh, I'm a big fan (laughs) of the Bay Area. Yeah, (laughs) that's all right. We'll let you in. (laughs) What is the? And I'll I'll we'll we'll begin to wrap it up. the The advice that you'd give yourself. 10 years ago, what would it be? Um, you know, I guess 10 years ago, I'd kind of, as we spoke earlier, I'd, I'd grown accustomed to this idea of rotating um, from job to job. And I guess if I spoke to my younger self, it would have been, don't be afraid of it or hesitant, just embrace it, right? Embrace the unknown, so to speak. That's kind of a pompous way to put it. But that fear of stepping into a new job, every time you do it, it just makes you a better leader, a better person, better executive. And at 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I was, you know, like all of us, maybe struggling with some of those transitions. And I'd say, you know, I'd say, don't worry about it. It's going to work out okay. <laughs> it's actually going to help in the long run. Um, but just don't stress as much. Um, and maybe that's the other commentary I would have. Uh, you know, our jobs are really stressful. Um, my job is a 24 hour, seven days a week job. There's always going to be a crisis. There's always going to be some network problem or a PC problem or something. Yeah, and, you know, I've probably looked over and managed teams that have closed millions and millions of tickets over the years. Life will be okay. The sun's going to come up tomorrow, no matter how bad the problem is. Just get the right team of people focused on it. 
give them the resources they need, give them the support they need, communicate to the stakeholders about what you're doing, and it'll be okay. So don't, you know, don't lose sleep. <laughs> so a little it'll hard work, work, a little patience. Yep. Yeah. Hard work, patience. Yeah, I think the whether it's my job or your job or anyone else's, my advice generally to people is show up early. I, I was here early, right? I was here. Yep. Show up early, show up early, work hard, be willing to do whatever they ask you to do. Don't complain unless it's appropriate um, and help the next guy. Right. So all of those, you know, that advice, I guess, is kind of transferable to almost any job, but um, just work hard. It's the, it's really the basics, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. They're not sexy. Nobody likes to hear them. No one likes to hear discipline. No one likes to hear showing up. Or, and, but in reality, that's what it is. You don't need to like, just execute the basics. You know, my, my father, he, uh, the way he got into the electronics design was actually courtesy of the U S air force. So he got his electronics design, uh, education there, putting the GPS systems into the B2 stealth bombers. Oh, Oh. Right, because they had a very stealthy plane. What's better yeah. than a stealthy plane? A stealthy plane that knows where it is. <laughs> right, even better. Even better. So they were, you know, in airplane hangars all day, just figuring out how to get this GPS thing into the bomber. And uh, he taught me that he taught me about discipline, and I hated it when I was younger. Right, I just everyone. He's like, oh, you're not fun. And I actually talked to him. I called him to tell tell him this weekend that we have our second child on the way. I said, you know, I just want to say to you again, I've been working on discipline a lot with my early morning runs and things like that. And I just, you know, want to say thank you for, even though when I was a kid and my mom and us, we would kind of all say like, oh, he's the boring one because he's, you know, the work hard, discipline one. Uh, you would just keep grinding. Like he would just ign like ignore it, acknowledge, uh, keep grinding. And then as an, as an adult in my 30s, I, I'm looking back with like a tremendous amount of respect. And uh, he taught me also that, um, you know, on time is late. You know, yep. You know, show up yep. early. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. If I'm on time, I'm five minutes early. So. Yeah, it's amazing what that'll do too. I did due diligence for a little bit for technology, uh, code reviews and stuff for uh, invest people. They want your investment money, and so they would have me look at the code. Mm. Amazing how many uh, these entrepreneur founder individuals would be late to investment meetings where they want money from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it blew my mind. So anytime I, anytime I'm going for help, I'm not 10 minutes early. I'm 15, 17 minutes early and I'm sitting there preparing, doing my notes. Luckily we have these computers in our hands where we can just do some work, just be sitting there and do some work and be early. It's so easy. Yeah. I don't think the recipe is that hard. And, you know, people have written thousands and thousands of books on how to be great leaders and everything else, but you can put it on a post-it note. <laughs> Comes hard down work there. works yeah. <laughs> yep discipline consistency trust yeah thank bob i i love getting to speak with you and getting to know you this has been like tremendously valuable for myself so i want to say thank you so much for your time sure, happy, happy to do it Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.